Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Colin. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about composing music for television shows with Miranda Sacheta, composer for film and TV series like the current Transformers animated series, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, The Eagle Huntress, and The Voice. Welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. So what is your background and how did you end up in LA? I guess my background is I've been doing music basically all my life. It's just been a big part of my family and I knew I wanted to do it, you know, so I just I went to a Berkeley College of Music playing saxophone found film scoring, totally fell in love with it, um, and just knew that I wanted to write for a living rather than play saxophone. I don't really know what you would do (laughs) to make money with that. but (laughs) Um, So I came out to LA because that was the obvious choice. You know, that's where the industry is, you know, writing for TV and film and stuff. So I came here and just didn't didn't look back. (laughs) Did you always want to compose for film and TV? Were there any composers that you admired or any kind of music that influenced you? Totally. Um, I think the way that I got into film scoring specifically was through video game music. Mm -hmm. I always really liked Nobuo Uematsu and all the work that he did on Final Fantasy series. I just thought the big epic orchestral stuff was really inspiring and just so fun, you know? So I started taking video game music classes first, but then those fell under the umbrella of film scoring. And then I was like, oh, I can do this in anything. You know, I can write for stuff, whether it's video games or TV or whatever. So I guess that's a big influence on my style too, is the kind of like Nobuo Uematsu stuff. (laughs) So what sort of TV shows and films influenced you when you were growing up? Same sort of style, I guess, like with orchestral stuff that I always really liked. I mean, it's a kind of obvious choice, but I mean, Hans Zimmer is a big one. John Williams is a huge one, like his thematic writing and like melodic writing and just the way he uses the colors of the orchestra has always been something that appealed to me. So, you know, when I started taking classes, I was like, I want to learn the orchestra, even though I don't really play anything like in the orchestra. Oh, and outside of the music side of things, what about just kind of like shows and movies that you loved? Oh, gosh, I'm all over the place. It's weird. I <laughs> I actually really love horror films, um, which it turns out is also really fun to write for. And just anything box office-y, honestly, I'm, I'm all over the place. I love the popular stuff. I love the niche stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's too broad of an answer. Moving to TV, can you walk us through sort of how you got that first composing gig on a TV show? Yeah, I guess it's like the same story that you hear often when people come to LA, especially not knowing anyone at first, you just meet people, you know, I met um, this really great girl who also went to Berkeley a little before me, and she was writing for TV. And she said, Oh, you have to meet my friend. And I met him and he was working at the place that I got my first gig. And that was that, you know, you meet a person who meets a person and um, introduces you to a person rather. And yeah. <laughs> and did they listen to uh, samples of yours? How did that process? Yeah, he he listened to a bunch of my stuff. A couple of composers there listened to my stuff. And they said, how about you come on and try writing, you know, the amount of music we write per day. And at this place, it was three tracks per day, about yeah. like a minute to a minute and a half. Uh-huh per track. Um, so it was a lot of music. So it's that sort of thing where you're kind of thrown into the deep end and like see what happens and turned out it was okay. You know, once you get the hang of it, it's it's not bad. It's actually really fun <laughs> cranking out that much music. 
So can you take us through the process of writing a piece of music, say for a TV show, from start to finish, for those who are completely unfamiliar with the world? How I start is I usually get a brief from whatever company, you know, whatever client we're working with. It could be something like orchestral, super teasy, like, oh, what's going to happen next on The Voice? Or like, <laughs> maybe it's something quirky, like going to go behind Real Housewives, like yelling at each other or something. Anyway, you get the brief, you see what kind of style you're doing, what kind of instruments they like and don't like and stuff. And you basically just map out a start and a finish and a middle point and make sure that it's like sectional. So there's good edit points for whatever music editor is going to plop in your music. It, it totally depends where I start. I guess sometimes I'll start writing percussion. If it's a hip hop track, especially the percussion is super important. So I'll start there. Or if it's a sad piano thing that's going to go behind the background of someone's sob story, I'll start with a melody and then fill in the blanks. Or maybe I'll write a motif with strings and like some big epic thing and fill in the harmonics from there. You know, it, it kind of depends where I start, but it all kind of fills in itself. <laughs> And then so once you're happy with the track, where does it go then? What happens? Well, after I finish writing it, this is all in logic. Of course, I probably should have said I basically always sequence my stuff unless I do get live players, which is awesome, but is also rare, mm. especially with like production music. I think that's probably more common with, with big movies and stuff. But anyway, I do all the mixing, mastering myself. Um, which is also something that I learned really quickly when I came out here. <laughs> mm. And then I just send it off to a music supervisor who delivers it to the client and they say yay or nay, and they may come back with notes, in which case I'll fix it. But it's always great when they just like it at the first pass. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to scripted series like something such as Transformers, do you get to read those scripts for the show when you're composing or you just get that small brief for what kind of music they need or do you only know the content once it's edited? You know, sometimes they do give me a little extra, which I love. Sometimes I'm a little in the dark and they'll just give me the brief and I'll be like, mm, okay. But um, with Transformers, they were really cool. I got to read some scripts when the series first started. There's now like three seasons. But when it first started, they gave me a lot of concept art because I was writing themes for specific characters. And that was really cool to just like look at a character and figure out what they sounded like, you know, that's like, if I can get a little bit more, that always makes me happy. <laughs> Let's go more into that. How do you create these themes for these characters? And what about them inspires you and, and says this is what they should sound like? could be a number of things i mean especially if i get like the background of them too and i kind of get like what their style is maybe they're really edgy and kind of you know i hear like epic synths and like you know shredding guitar or something there's this one character who she looks like a geisha and she was probably my favorite because i kind of figured i'd sprinkle in some like sparkly sounding piano and more synth pads and it's just very mellow and pretty it's fun to it's fun to look at a character and figure out what their soundscape is are there any specific elements in that script or in that concept art that sort of inspire you to write the music and essentially makes your job easier Yeah, um, especially like if I'm reading a script and I'm seeing emotionally where something is going, if like energy is ramping up or down or anything, it definitely makes it easier to shape the music in that same way. Or there have even been like rare occasions where I get to talk to the director, which is awesome. And again, it's kind of rare because they usually speak to the music supervisor who speaks to me. But if I can talk to the director, it kind of cuts out the middleman and we can just say, 
oh, I love the sound of Evangelion. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that's like and kind of, you know, do what do what he says. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was going to be my next question. Sort of how much communication does the composer usually have with the creatives involved in the show? Is it the director, the writers, the producers, that kind of thing? Oh, hardly any. Again, if it happens, it's great. But usually there's someone to to be the middleman, which I guess is nice because that takes a lot of like emailing and such off of my plate. But, you know, that direct contact is really nice because sometimes it's a game of telephone where the music supervisor may not know exactly what the director's saying. And then I usually am like, why can't you just tell me? But they're really <laughs> cool. And and again, it, it takes a lot of off of me. <laughs> well, to that, what does that conversation look like? Is it based on references of past episodes or uh, music? Or is it based on themes or something oh, else? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of references which is awesome because it definitely gives me a good starting point. Like if someone can say, oh, I really like you too, or I really like this anime, or, you know, it can be completely random where the references come from, but at least it gives me an idea of instrumentation and, and you know, levels of intensity or whatever. That's always really nice. <laughs> so you mentioned before uh, motifs. Now, what are motifs exactly and how are they kind of created and used when you're writing for TV? Oh, I love motifs. So a motif is basically just like a musical idea. It could be a phrase. It could even be a rhythm that's just often repeated, almost like as a mini theme throughout the course of, of a track. And I really like using motifs in like orchestral writing, especially because I feel like, especially if you have a heavy staccato string thing that can just play over different chord changes, it can sound really cool and uh, really help the development of a track. So how would you go about creating a motif and then how would you use it in the show to a certain effect? Usually I just think about the style that I'm writing in. If it's like, you know, something sad, put out a piano patch and kind of noodle around and play something sad until I find something that I like and then, you know, figure out how to pepper it in. Or if it's like something intense, then I'll put on my strings or brass staccato patches and like, you know, noodle around until I find something I like. There's a lot of noodling. Since TV shows are long form narratives, unlike movies or other self-contained stories, how do you go about creating and managing that whole assortment of music, knowing that the show stories are going to be evolving across multiple seasons? How do you keep that forward momentum in mind? That's that's definitely where like themes and stuff play in pretty heavily. I remember I wrote a couple of different themes for Eagle Huntress, which were used throughout the course of the movie, and they were brought back for very specific things, like the theme for the girl who is the main character, or like the theme for her and her father and everything. And I would basically use even the same instrumentation a lot of the time, but maybe give the melody to a different instrument. And, you know, that was a score to picture too, which I loved. Um, so I had hit like sick sync points and everything. It's, it's nice to have those reoccurring themes because maybe if you're not actively listening to the music, I feel like maybe even subconsciously you're like, oh yeah, I remember this. You know, I remember this feeling. But to change the instrumentation just a little bit definitely helps freshen it up a little bit. You're not just listening to the same thing over and over again. And are those themes kind of changing and growing as the characters do on screen? Are you trying to follow their kind of arc in the narrative? Definitely. That's really fun to do too, because if you start off kind of hollow with a few instruments or grow with the character or maybe the character is having a rough time or something and they're like at a low point and that's when you can like strip the instrumentation but if it's really epic at a climactic point you can really make it lush and full and 
And it's fun because it's the same material, just pre- uh, presented totally differently. And is this based on your own personal emotions to that material? Or is this a mandate from, let's say, producer? Either way, um, I really love getting super into, especially with Transformers or Eagle Huntress or whatever I've worked on that I'm really excited about. It's easy for me to feel emotional while I'm writing it, so it's easy to just kind of pour it out. But clients will definitely ask for that because they want that too, mm-hmm. so... It's mutual. <laughs> and how does the creative process differ for you when you are composing to picture like that? You know, I think a lot of people think about Jason Siegel and forgetting Sarah Marshall <laughs> watching that thing, as opposed to maybe just doing it in a vacuum and throwing them a track and hoping it works. I definitely get that comparison a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, for the most part, at least in in like production music, you're not scoring a picture, which is kind of too bad because I really like doing that. Of course, it's a lot easier to just write whatever you want and throw it at a music editor and be like, here, you do it, you know, (laughs) which I think is mostly the case, especially with reality TV. But it's also nice for them because they can just chop up your track however they want it and use it over and over again, and it suits their needs. But there's something about scoring to picture that's really fun because you can hit those sync points and like you can craft a track to rise and fall with the scene and it's, it's kind of like a puzzle, which I think is fun. It makes you think a little bit more about it. And how do you use music to create a certain mood or feeling in the audience? You know, it depends. There's a lot of colors that you can play with, especially with the orchestra. It's just so broad. Even with synths, there are the really mellow, pretty ones, and there's like really harsh, intense ones. And it's just about layering those colors and like trying to to figure out how you can build that mood. Can you sort of define and, and walk us through the colors of the orchestra? Sure, yeah. So I feel like woodwinds are always really kind of innocent and sweet, and I use those a lot for just heartfelt things, whether they're happy or sad. Um, brass obviously can be super powerful, so I can think about like the Hans Zimmer brass boise mixed with big synths, and that's always fun. Of course, those can be can be beautiful too. Like especially a a horn, like a solo horn line or something can sound really. I mean, also patriotic, but just really heartfelt. And then strings are so versatile; they can be very sweet, very intense, depending on how they're played, you know, like with bows and plucks and um, how hard or soft you play. And synths, I mean, synths can do anything that the orchestra can do just in the electronic vibe. It's kind of, it's all over the place. It's really fun. (laughs) How do you manage that orchestra? Is it all digital? Is it a physical presence? I, I usually write all digital. I have had um, live players, like a live orchestra, a few times. It's expensive. That's the thing. So <laughs> if a client specifically asks for it, it's like, okay, well, here we go. I actually studied a lot of conducting too, which I'm looking forward to doing. If I can get onto like bigger projects that demand live players, I'd love to work with them. I mean, it just sounds so much better, you know? I mean, samples have come such a long way, and a lot of orchestral ones actually sound pretty great. And in the context of, you know, TV, where it's kind of low in the mix, you're not going to know the difference. But God, it like, there's really no compare, especially if you play them at the same volume, like say if you're in a movie theater and you can hear everything, real players are where it's at. (laughs) Are you able to tell the difference if you're just watching? Usually. (laughs) Does that change your approach to writing if you know that you're going to be writing for live players instead of just doing it on your own? For me personally, no. 
And I know that's not the same answer for a lot of other composers. I think it's just because I've been so heavily trained in orchestration that when I write, I try to write something believable. I know what's within a cello player's ability. Like I know the range, I know what's too fast or too crazy and for everyone. I've also worked on some sessions of friends and it's not a big deal if they're a guitar player by principle and don't really know the orchestra, but write it and they write like it's a piano. They'll take one string patch and just layer it all in. And I'm like, that's fine. It's just also not believable. Mm-hmm. But but then I've been given those and they'll be like, oh, we're getting live players. So can you write this out for, for live players? And I'm like, oh God, I have to dissect this. <laughs> Are there any instruments that just don't sound realistic as a sample? Oh yeah. There's a lot of like really bad uh, brass patches. And maybe this is a little too close to home. I might be biased, but saxophone patches are terrible. <laughs> I haven't found a believable one yet. If anyone knows of one, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Although that's the nice thing about playing sax, because then I don't have to worry about that. So. <laughs> so early on in the editing process for, say, TV and film, it's common for directors and editors to put in sort of temp music and temp tracks. How does that affect you? I've heard that perhaps they can get very attached to these temp tracks, and you have to write something very close to it. Yeah. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, big time. Oh my gosh, people get so attached to temp tracks. And I'm sure it's because they've watched it over and over and over again, and they've gotten used to how it sounds. And then when you deliver something where you've used that as a reference, of course, but it's not the exact same thing. They're like, oh, but it, it's not like this. And then you try to get as close as you can, but then you're like, but I'm ripping this, this temp track off and maybe this is in violation of copyright or something. <laughs> so you kind of just have to work with them as much as you can without getting too close. And hopefully you can reason being like, hey, you know, I can't, we can't just plot this music in. It's too expensive, you know? <laughs> yeah. How do you massage away from that temp track? Are there any special tricks that you go about? giving the illusion that it's close, but not quite there. Yeah, I feel like um, with Eagle Huntress, I I kind of met a middle ground where maybe we just even found something completely different that we agreed, we both agreed sound, sounded good. So it wasn't whatever I wrote and it wasn't the temp track, but oh, these bells sound really great. And they're like, okay, do something with that. I'm like, haha, and then I can escape and like do my own thing <laughs> with these bells that they like so much, you know? <laughs> So it's really about highlighting a special or specific element of that track that they get really attached to Absolutely. and identifying that. Instru- uh, instrumentation definitely plays a big role. And I think that sometimes people don't even realize it. Maybe it's not necessarily the melody that they like. Maybe it's the instrument that they like or something. Mm-hmm. You kind of just have to hone in and find that. Can you talk us through the process of addressing notes and what sort of things do you usually get feedback on that need to be addressed? It can be any number of things. Maybe they don't like an instrument that I used or maybe they, oh, the, the most common note, I guess, actually, is um, it's too busy. You know, like, <laughs> I think a lot of composers, definitely myself included, want to write something that's really inspired and, like, interesting and cool. And, you know, you bring it to a client and they're like, oh, there's just way too much going on. And, I mean, it's true. Like, as much as we want to write something really incredible, it's not going to jive behind the Real Housewives. Because, I mean... The fact of the matter is there's a lot of dialogue going on in any of these shows and you can't do something that's going to take away from that. You want to highlight it. And that means that you have to strip away some stuff, even if you don't really want to. (laughs) Well, how do you gauge that level of complexity when you're composing something? Is it based on the content on screen? Is it based on the audio environment? Uh, How do you work that out? 
Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that you have to get used to. And it helps if you can see the picture. But most often, again, in production music, I don't. So I kind of just have to guess. And I just go in assuming that there's going to be people talking wall to wall. So I just try to write something that sounds interesting and gets the mood across without way too many notes or whatever, like music notes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to that, do you think there's a big difference between composing a scene featuring a lot of dialogue versus maybe an action scene? Definitely. With action scenes, I feel like you can just go at it. And I probably wouldn't do anything melodically too crazy either, but you can go crazy with percussion and rhythmically really ramping up the pace and you know it's going to be louder in the mix too so it's like yeah let's make this sound cool <laughs> whereas if you're just doing something like plucky and silly behind people talking and like trying to make it sound funny the instrumentation is like pretty important but again you don't want to be stepping on anyone's toes and you kind of pull back a little bit so what do you think that tv writers could learn from the composing process perhaps knowing going in that their words and their characters and scenes are going to have this music written to them yeah, it's an interesting question. And typically composers, I think, would rather work for the writer, like not necessarily the other way around, especially because like we're in post and everything. So we kind of like look at what we've been given and try to write something that the writer was envisioning. I guess the only thing that I can think of is tell me what your references are. If you made this character or wrote this scene with any sort of music in mind, like I know a lot of writers like to listen to music while they write. If there's anything that you really thought of, like, again, uh, the Transformers director told me he really loves Evangelion and, you know, 80 synths and stuff. And that was great for me because I'm like, awesome. I know exactly what direction to go in. And that definitely made my life easier. But again, we're all just about doing what's best for the project. So <laughs> right. But so making the perhaps the tone of the world and the characters and the action and stuff clear in the script would eventually make life easier for composers. Oh, definitely. Because there have definitely been times when I've thought that the tone was one thing and I deliver it and they'll say, oh, this is not at all what we were looking for. And I'll be like, whoops, and write something completely different and, you know, pass that off. So definitely just the communication about what it, what it should sound like. (laughs) So you mentioned earlier that video game composing was very influential to you. How do you feel composing something for an interactive concept like a video game differs from composing for linear storytelling like TV? Oh, yeah. When you're writing for, for something more linear, like like a movie or, or TV or whatever, you know, it's so concrete. You write music and you know that whatever you're looking at, your music's going to be right there. But with video games, it's so real time and it ha- like the music has to adjust to whatever the player is doing. So maybe there's certain music that's playing in this one section of the world and then you move across this one line and it changes to something else. Or like enemies come and they start attacking you and the music has to change. I know there's so much coding behind it, which unfortunately is something that I wasn't great at. (laughs) I was taking the video game music minor and it got so technological, placing all of those, those like barriers there, you know, that changed the music. And it's something else. It's really involved. Is it about composing 
based on the environment as opposed to a story. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it can also be the story too, like depending on how far along you get. There's even instances where one theme will be playing and it might be like a stripped down version, but like as you progress or as you get more life or less life or whatever the the deal may be, it could add instruments, like add layers, you know? I think it's even just called layering. <laughs> That's interesting. So they expect the composer to basically not only create the music, but implement that through coding and where it's going to happen and create the kind of musical soundscape. It's not just like, here's a bunch of music and someone else's job is to create where that happens and where it doesn't. You know, since I moved out to LA, I haven't worked on any video games and like, heck, I would like to. I just kind of fell into the TV world. So I'm not sure exactly um, I'm sure it differs depending on where you're working, but I know that in school they taught us all of that coding. So I assume that there are places that expect the composer to do all of that. So how is composing music for perhaps unscripted or reality TV different from what you're doing on scripted TV and film? I'm not sure there really is much of a difference, to be completely honest, especially if you're you know, in my case, like working for a music library where we also have clients, but basically just get briefs and we write music that the company wants and they can just put it in whenever the mood suits them, you know, whenever it's appropriate. So I don't know if it makes much of a difference if it's scripted or unscripted. Again, unless it's score to picture, in which case there's definitely a difference because you want to hit those sync points. But if you're just writing music to give to a client and they have a music editor that takes care of that, then, you know, you just write whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, looking at the finished product, say you're sitting down and watching something on HGTV or the Food Network, and you've seen how the music editors implemented certain things, whether they're your own music or someone else's. Do you notice a difference in how it's used perhaps with the narrative there as opposed to a TV show? You know, I, it's always kind of used how I'd expect it because we very much write based off of moods. So I do watch a lot of Food Network. So like if I wrote something intense, like beat Bobby Flay and they're cooking like crazy and time's running out and they're playing one of my like epic tracks, like that makes sense to me. Or like a low tension track if there's like deliberating going on or something like that. I wrote that music with that stuff in mind mm -hmm. and then they put it basically where I'd expect them to. Mm -hmm. How do you go about composing that evergreen music, essentially? Is it based on moods? Is it based on themes? It's mostly based on moods. You know, themes only really ever come into play with something that, like, long-running. You know, like Transformers, which has multiple seasons, or Eagle Hunters, which, of course, was a movie. But themes are rarely used in, like, episodic things like reality TV or anything. Does the process of composing for a film, and especially now you've worked on a number of documentaries, is, is the longer film form much different from writing for TV? Definitely. Because you don't want too many different soundscapes, I think, in a movie. Um, you kind of want it to all sit in the same place because like, if you're writing mostly orchestral say and then like i don't know where comes a rock track or something like it sounds really out of place right and it's gonna like pull you out of the movie a bit whereas in reality tv it happens all the time it switches from orchestral to hip-hop to electronic it's all over the place and nobody really cares because that's just how it is like i guess we're used to it but if you're sitting and watching something for like you know an hour and a half you kind of get 
placed into the world. So you get placed in like the musical world as well. It would be kind of like introducing a new character in the last quarter of the film or something like that you've never seen before. Like, what, what is this? Where did this come from? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned earlier composing up to three or five tracks a day. How do you stay fresh? How do you stay creative in that environment? It, you know, it's tough sometimes, especially if you get like, oh, write three pop tracks today for the same client. And after you finish one, you have that stuck in your head. And it's like, oh, God, like, how am I supposed to write another one? And honestly, I think it just comes with practice, you know, taking breaks when you need to. Like, sometimes I'll just get up and, like, go into a different room or, like, talk to someone or take the dog for a walk and just try to get that song out of my head, you know. Um, and also just time management, you know, like saying I'm going to get – one track done before lunch, start another one if I can. And then after that, you know, finish and hopefully I'll be done by like five or whatever, you know. <laughs> Sounds a lot like our writing process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long does it take you to write each track on average? Definitely depends. You know, I can crank out a hip hop track faster than I can write like an orchestral piece just because there's more instruments involved. Maybe minimum 40 minutes maximum, you know, I've taken like a couple hours, but anything more than that, I'm like, okay, I need to wrap this up. <laughs> How do you go about actually composing? Is it clicking a bunch of buttons? Is it laying out a track? How, how does yeah, that work? You know, it's opening logic and sitting at a big keyboard, you know, like my MIDI controller and just setting up instruments and lining them up and saying, okay, well, let's start with the drums and I'll like bang something out or I'll start with piano and i'll play something and you know just fill it in <laughs> and how do you manage the length of a track compared to the demand of the content or is it all based on post-production it it sort of depends I, like the length of the track traditionally is about a minute to a minute and a half usually like 90 seconds is best um unless they specifically ask for more there have been clients that say well i want no less than three minutes so then you'll just do that and yeah. write as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned um, when you were writing this idea of structure earlier, which I found really interesting because it sounded a little bit similar to structure in writing. You're talking about kind of the, the beginning and this midpoint and the thing near the end. Can you go into a little more detail on how you structure a track? Definitely. You know, sometimes it's like a verse chorus sort of idea, or maybe it's even just like taking it to a completely different place. Maybe it's changing the key to make it sound like it's ramping up a little bit. But it's just the idea that like probably every 30 seconds, it it changes somehow. So it doesn't sound stale. You know, if you repeat the same idea over and over again for 90 seconds, you're going to get tired of it. And you really can't even work with it. But when you when you structure it like thematically like that, then it's a lot more usable, a lot more interesting. Yeah, I can definitely see those parallels to story. And, you know, if you're writing a feature film, you don't just want to keep hitting the same idea and the same thing. You have to escalate it or you have to, to reverse it or change it in some way. So, interesting. Yeah, it is. Is it about involving more instruments? Is it about the complexity of the melody? How do you verbalize that? Yeah, you know, a lot of times I feel like doing something different melodically helps because it's a very obvious change. Um, definitely changing like the chord progression helps a lot. Yeah, or even adding or subtracting instruments or like putting the melody on a different instrument or something like anything to change that color up. And you said as well that you kind of have to write it in mind to be chopped up and used by the music editor. So you're trying to compose it in sort of a, a fractal way where you can take just four bars here and four bars there and, and put it together and it makes sense. Oh yeah, like sometimes I'll have tracks 
And maybe the editor in this case or the director, whoever decides these things, really likes the first four bars of my track. I've heard just four bars looped like over and over again. It's really interesting how they how they end up chopping it up. But it's cool, you know, because you give them that variety. Like maybe they like the second section more and they'll loop that. Or maybe they even just like the last note and, you know, I'll bounce a submix that's just the sting and they'll use it to like accent certain points. And going into that post-production process, you mentioned earlier that you were heavily involved in the mixing and sometimes the mastering of it. Uh, can you walk us through that process? Sure. It's a lot of plugins, you know, <laughs> um, playing with knobs and things like putting reverb on things and uh, limiters and compressing. And uh, I mean, it's a little bit boring, to be perfectly honest. Maybe <laughs> maybe like sound designers or, or whoever might disagree with me. But <laughs> and have you ever been involved in the, the spotting sessions that go on with the directors and stuff? Or is they're watching the cuts and giving the feedback? Or is that more of the music supervisor's job? That's, in my experience, it's been the music supervisor's job. I know there's a lot of composers who get to be in those spotting sessions. Um, but I think that's typically if they're, you know, like a standalone composer, like not affiliated with a company, and they'll be talking to the directors, you know, one-on-one, -on -one usually. Yeah, but in my case, where I'm attached to a company that has music supervisors doing all that for me, you know, my friend actually had sat in on spotting sessions, and then he'll come back to me and be like, all right, so here are the notes, like, this is what you do in this scene at like 30 seconds or whatever and like give me all the time code so I have the video and I have their notes and everything. So what are your kind of goals for your career? Where would you like to end up and what would you like to be doing? You know, I want to keep writing music for stuff and I want to, um, I want to be more heavily involved. Like I want to be that composer that works directly with the director. I want to be like the sole composer on something rather than just you know, working with a team of composers. And I mean, that's fun too, when you're watching something and you're like, oh, this is my track and that's Jordan's track or whatever, you know, that's cool. But I want to be recognized for my work, like my work, you know, without having my company's name in the credits rather than my own. Do you have a preference for film or TV or any particular area? It's funny, when I first moved out here, I thought for sure film, but I kind of fell in love with the TV world. I feel like if I can even attach myself to a popular TV show, that'd be great. I really have no preference. As long as people hear my stuff, that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, we have a couple of final questions for you. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Oh, man. Um, well, <laughs> I can't wait for Game of Thrones to come back. <laughs> Actually, my artist's name is The Hound. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, let's see. What else are we watching? Oh, Queer Eye is awesome. Yes, it just came back. <laughs> it just came back. I'm so happy. If I could do music for that, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, prepare to cry. I know. I already have been. <laughs> just finished Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what what uh what anime are you watching? Oh, I'm watching so much anime. My Hero Academia is like one of my favorite shows right now. Do you find anything different about how music is composed for anime as opposed to Western TV? Maybe a little bit, just stylistically, but it's probably not super different. Again, it's just sort of building themes and changing moods, well, highlighting moods rather, and it's probably pretty similar. Man, if I could write music for an anime, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any final pieces of advice for uh, either 
TV composers or writers to take away from this? Totally. I think I think confidence is key. That's definitely something that I learned when I moved out here. You know, just don't be afraid to go out and meet people. Meeting people is surprisingly helpful. I mean, it got me a gig. Like, you know, it probably gets all of us gigs. Like, I knew a guy who introduced me to this guy who worked at this place, and now I'm working there. And also, just like creatively, don't be too proud or don't beat yourself up. In the end, it's all about what the client wants, what the director wants or anything. You kind of, you blend what you write in with what they want and eventually your voice gets heard and it may not be exactly what you are expecting, but that gets you the gigs, you know? <laughs> it's actually really good advice for writers as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and finally, do you have any resources, be it books, apps, websites, soundtracks perhaps for our listeners? Maybe this is answering it in a different way, but I think it's really important to build a good sound library. You know, samples are just so important because if it doesn't, if it doesn't sound believable, then people aren't going to like it. And it may not necessarily be because what you wrote is bad or whatever. It may just be because your string samples could have sounded nicer, you know? How do you build a sound library? Do you go and buy particular samples from places? Do they come with a program? They may come with programs, but you can typically just buy them and then get a real big external hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> right, cool. And one last thing before we go for our listeners, uh, our paper tease competition is still open for submissions. So if you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, it can be any format, any genre, uh, you can enter that for free at paperteam.co slash teaser uh, to potentially get feedback on air from us and win prizes from our sponsors. But that brings us to the end of our episode. So thanks to the listeners for tuning in and thanks for Miranda for joining us. Thank you guys so much. This was great. <laughs> this was awesome. And for our listeners, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 94. If you'd like to leave us a review, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And uh, that would be super awesome. We love reading those out on air and uh, getting the warm fuzzies. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Is there anywhere on social media uh, where people can find you? Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr? I, I, I unfortunately am not on Twitter because it confuses me, but mm -hmm. I am on Instagram and Facebook, just Miranda Sachetta. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for a future episode, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, episodic versus serialized TV and kind of analyzing the pros and cons of both formats. We'll see you then. We'll catch you then.